Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Well, you guys are a little tired. I'm sure after a hurricane, I'm glad you guys survived Hurricane Hermine. This is my first hurricane. Um, I think this is probably the first one in a long time here. But uh, this morning, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I have an opportunity to share something that God has placed on my heart. And uh, if there's any students in here, uh, it might sound familiar. I did share this with the students a few weeks ago. And, and I, I've always been hesitant to do something like that. But I, I do feel like God has, has put this on my heart to share um, with you all. And, and I've been... Uh, Happy to be challenged by this uh, once again as I studied uh, to, for this message. But um, I don't know how many of you, if you've grown up in this area, maybe not so much, but maybe if you're from up north or somewhere else, uh, how many of you grew up camping? Anybody grew up camping a lot? Or maybe, maybe even here, I don't know. All right, there, there's a fair number in here. I grew up in Colorado, and so um, if you don't camp in Colorado, then you might as well just move somewhere else because Colorado is awesome, and there's plenty of places to camp. And I remember one time when I was young, probably fourth or fifth grade, maybe even younger, my dad and I went camping. We went camping up in northeastern Colorado, which I don't really understand why we went to northeastern Colorado because there isn't much once you go east of Denver. It's just kind of nothing out there. So we went up to northeastern Colorado and we went camping. And I can remember that when we got up there, we had all these plans. We had plans. My dad brought his telescopes because he loves astronomy. Uh, he brought his telescopes, we brought frisbees, we brought all kinds of stuff. We, we went actual camping, not an RV. We took a tent, and we went and we, we set up the tent. And I remember that the first few hours, we, I mean, those were where most of the memories were made, the first few hours, because we, we got the campfire ready, and we started playing ultimate frisbee. We used frisbees to, I mean, not ultimate frisbee, frisbee golf. And uh, we started using trees as markers, and we had so much fun, and, and as it got Later in the evening, we realized how many mosquitoes were there, and it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. And so we, we quickly ate dinner, and we realized, okay, let's just call it a night. We've still got another full day and another half day. And so let's call it a night. Let's, let's get in the tent, and uh, we'll wake up tomorrow, and hopefully it'll be better. And so we wake up, and uh, in the morning, there weren't too many, but you know, around 11 o'clock, all of a sudden, they come out. And I mean, basically, our whole camping trip, we stayed inside the tent as often as possible, as much as we could, we stayed inside the tent because it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. We, we came home with so many mosquito bites, and it would have been even more if we stayed outside the tent. And it's kind of a bittersweet because obviously we avoided the, the pain and, the, uh, and the, all the mosquito bites, but you know, when I look back on it, I realized we missed out on so much because really after that first, those few, first few hours, we didn't have too many memories. Yeah, we had fun inside the tent. We played card games and everything. And it was, I'm not saying it was boring, but we could have had, so, we, you know, we had so much more planned. Um, I think we were going to go on a few hikes or something. And it, it was disappointing that we sp spent the whole time sitting inside of our tent when we drove hours away and we had this whole trip planned out. And we chose complacency and comfort over the adventure and over the plans that we had. And when I think about that, I see, at least myself, but I see our culture and humanity really in the same boat. I see that we choose and we desire complacency and comfort over discomfort, over adventure. Especially here in the United States, we kind of live with this idea that work hard, get to the place where you can just relax and you've got it. That's the good life. And uh, if you live here in Hilton Head or even if you're vacationing, I'm sure you can see it here. This is kind of like 
the ideal, like, good life. At least I think so. I love it here. You kind of, you, when you make it to Hilton Head, either on vacation or if you can live here or retire here, you've hit it. You hit it right. It's the good life, and you can relax because it's comfortable here, except for this weekend when there's a hurricane. But <laughs> for the most part, it's comfortable. You can relax. And, and what I believe the Bible shows us, and we'll look at it here in a second, First Samuel, if you want to flip there, is that although comfort and complacency is, is awesome and it feels great, I think, and I'm sure you've probably experienced it in your own life, I have, and I still yet to learn, I still do it over and over, but I believe that complacency can many times, and I think almost every time, leads us to a place of death. And I believe that complacency, although in the meantime is comfortable and, and is, is ideal, over time we don't realize how quickly it can kill us. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And if you want to flip open to 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. This is a story that I'm sure many of you have heard time and time again. This is the story of David and Goliath. All right. And hopefully we can, uh, we can shine a little bit of light on something different in this passage because you have heard it so many times. But let me give you a little idea what's going on. What's happening is that you have the Israelites, God's people, who has, have been delivered from Egypt, over 400 years of slavery and oppression. They're delivered through the Red Sea. They wander around. They, they obtain their land, the promised land, and they have it. They have life made. All right? And all of a sudden, you know, in the book of Judges, and now in 1 Samuel, you see that, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy as they thought it was going to be. There's still going to be, you know, there's still going to be fights. There's still going to be enemies. And so the, the Philistines are one of those enemies. And they come up to fight them. And this is what happens is, is both armies are kind of, they, they say here in the passage that they're on two different mountains. Now I'm from Colorado, and I don't really think these were like mountain mountains, because uh, it would take like a day or two to get down to see, you know, into the valley. But they're on more like maybe hills or small mountains, and there's a valley in between. And it was small enough that each day, one, um, of, the, one of the Philistines would come down, named, named Goliath, and he would begin to taunt and, and yell at the Israelites. And so that's where we're going to pick up. So we have these two armies on the mountains or the hills, the valley in between. And in verse, or verse 4, this is what it says. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so what's going on here? We have, we have Goliath, who he is between 9 and 11 feet tall. And, I mean, this guy most likely is just yoked. I mean, this guy is just ripped. And he comes down, and he has a, a shield 
and, and armor that weighs about 140 pounds. He has a spear, and the spearhead is 15 pounds. And he has his own armor bearer that goes in front of him to hold the defensive weapons, and he holds the offensive weapons. And so this guy is just a monster. And when I think about you know, what he looks like, besides myself, obviously. I think of, uh, of Balfre. I don't know if you guys know Balfre in our church. Balfre Villavas, I don't know if, I, hopefully I'm saying that last name right, but Balfre, I love that guy. He is just a giant, and I'm afraid of him every time I'm around him. I mean, he is very nice, all right? It's nothing to do with his personality, but he is just huge, and it's awesome. I love it. I actually asked him when I preached this to the students, I asked if he would be Goliath as an illustration. Um, but, but when I think of Goliath, I think of Balfre. And so he's coming down into the valley each day, and he is taunting the Israelites. He's yelling at them, making fun of them, mocking them, and saying, when are you guys going to send me someone? This, this was maybe not common, but it was a practice when two armies would come together, um, two nations, that they would send one person from each side down into the middle because they knew that if they, all, they, if they went at it, both armies, that most likely they would just about kill everybody on each side. And so Goliath comes down the middle, he begins to call out someone, and every single day what happens is that the Israelites, they come outside of their tents, and they begin to yell back and shout back at Goliath just enough to, to kind of get him to maybe back off, and he, go back to, he goes back to his camp, and then they go back into their tent, and they hang out the rest of the day. And this goes on for over a month, probably several months, where Goliath would come down yell and mock and taunt the Israelites. And the Israelites would come out of their tent, whatever they were doing, they'd put on their armor, knowing they probably weren't going to fight, but they, you know, they wanted to give the look that, you know, that they were in this and that they weren't going to back down. And they'd yell back, and then they'd just go back in their tents, and they'd hang out the rest of the day. And, and they got comfortable with that day in and day out. They got comfortable with, with knowing that as long as they just did this, they could get by, and it was fine, and they would be comfortable. But I think the, the Bible is very clear that that is not what God has called them to do. That's not what God called the Israelites to do is just to sit on the front lines of a battlefield and do nothing, just, just allow Goliath to come and mock them. And then this goes on for days and weeks and months. And I don't believe that he has called us to do that either because the truth is I believe that everyone in here has a Goliath or many Goliaths in their life. For some of you, maybe you can think of something right away. Maybe it's something in your personal life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're facing a Goliath. Maybe it's in your, your finances. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's something to do with your family. Maybe your children. Each of us have a Goliath in our life. Or many Goliaths. And maybe you say, life is actually pretty good right now. And that's awesome. Praise God. But the truth is, there are still many Goliaths in our life and around us. And the truth is that we have 5,000 students on this island between the ages of 5 and 18. And trust me, they all don't come to youth group here or any youth group. And 94% of people will accept Christ between the ages of 5 and 18. That's a Goliath because we can see, obviously, our generation is, is yearning and desiring for something, and they're fighting a battle, and we can help them fight that battle. That's a Goliath. We, we have people on this island, and many of us are, are fortunate enough to live the way we do, but we have people on this island who are, who are going to bed hungry at night, who are starving. We have people on this island who, who live in conditions 
completely different than us that we could never imagine here on Hilton Head Island. And that's a Goliath. Somebody needs to reach out to them. We have people who come here each Sunday and they sit by themselves and they don't know anyone. They've said hi to a few people and they don't feel welcome maybe. That's a Goliath. And we have the ability to, to, to step up and say, I will fight that Goliath. Because the truth is, this story doesn't end with the two armies going their different way or this continuing to happen for years on end. How it ends is that somebody rises up and they, in a sense, get out of their tent. They step out of their tent. And his name is David. And it's a, it's a very unlikely character to do this because you have an Israel's army on the front lines of this battle People who are very experienced at warfare. You have Saul, who is the king of Israel and who was a very experienced at warfare as well. And even he was afraid. And even he chose complacency and, and comfort of saying, all right, just as long as this thing doesn't actually happen, we're fine. We're fine. But somebody by the name of David, he, he's called by his father to go deliver food to his brothers. His brothers were in the army. And he goes up and he, and he delivers the food to his brothers and he sees what's happening because David was just a shepherd. And, and in that day, a shepherd was really, you're kind of just the runt. He was the runt of the family and he was just kind of like the outcast. You don't want to be a shepherd of that day because they're dirty, they're smelly. Yes, they're essential. Somebody needs to take care of them, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like the garbage man or I don't know, like a, a gas station attendant or, and I'm not trying to rip on those jobs. They, they are important, but it's kind of like one of those that he didn't have any respect. Nobody respected him. And so David comes up and he sees what's happening, and he chooses to step out of his comfort zone and his complacency and say, I'll do it. I'll do it. And we have to be real. We have to be honest and, and understand that David probably didn't know what was going to happen, but he chose to anyway. And, and this is something that our students heard this summer, summer several times, and I believe that it's so important for us to understand, is that God doesn't care as much about our uh, ability as much as our availability. He doesn't care much about our ability because David didn't really didn't have any ability. Yes, he had, he had slain a bear and a lion. That's, that is quite the ability. I mean, I can't say that's, that's not impressive. But yet he was a shepherd. He probably had hardly any experience with any weapons and had no respect from his brothers, from his family, from anyone. And he comes up and he takes, he takes out Goliath. We know the story. And so God doesn't care as much about our ability. Maybe some of us are in here and say, I can't step outside my tent because I don't have the ability yet. I got to get ready. David was called to be king when he was the youngest of the brothers, when he was a little scrawny boy, and he was a shepherd at that time because God doesn't care much about our ability as, as our availability. David said, I, I know I'm not much, but I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. And so for us in here, figuring out first what our, our Goliath is and then admitting I might not have the ability, but I am available, God. I will do what you need me to do. And David got out of his tent. He went and picked up three stones. And that's proof right there that he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. If he knew exactly what was going to happen, he would have picked up one stone. Because he only took one stone. But he didn't know what was going to happen. He picked up three. He slayed Goliath with one. And the whole course of history was changed forever. 
Israel was able to then do, again, do what God had called them to do, which was to move forward and, and, and not just to sit there in complacency because God had a plan for Israel and God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your family. God has a plan for this island, this county, this nation. And what it takes is it takes somebody getting out of their tent and saying, I might not know exactly what I'm doing, but I know who God hasn't called me just to sit here. I might not know how to talk to a student or babysit a child or change a diaper. I might not know how to exactly jump into a life group and be a part of a life group. I might not know exactly how to serve in these ministries that we serve here at the church here in Hilton Head Island and in Beaufort County, but I'll jump out there. I'll learn eventually. God, I'm available. I might not be able, but I'm available. And so David did that. He got out and he changed the course of history. And so here's the truth is that, that God works outside the comfort of our tent. He works outside the comfort of our tent. And if, I, if you guys could take away one thing today, that is what I want you to understand is that God works outside the comfort of our tent. God is God and he can do whatever he wants. But I believe time and time again in the Bible, you see this truth come alive is that God works outside the comfort of our, of our tent. Look at Abraham. Abraham was called by God, and he had no idea who God was. There was no Bible around. There was nothing. He was called by God to leave his hometown and to travel hundreds of miles and really to be the father of the Jewish nation. He stepped outside of his tent. He could have said, whoa, no way. I don't even know who you are, it, whether it be a voice in my head. I don't know how God spoke to him, but he, he, you know, he could have said, whoa, no way. I'm not doing that. That's foolish. Because really, it does, it does appear foolish, but he did step outside of his tent. And because of that, the nation of Israel began. And because of that, Jesus was able to come through the lineage of David and to save all of humanity. When you look at Isaiah, you see in Isaiah, the first few chapters of Isaiah, God shows up in a mighty way in Isaiah chapter 6. And what does Isaiah say? He says, here I am, send me. Isaiah didn't really understand what that meant or what was going to happen, but Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I will do what you need me to do, God. Here I am, send me. Imagine if we took on that attitude of God. I don't know what it's going to take to overcome this addiction in my life or to, to help my family or to overcome this financial burden or whatever your Goliath is. God, I don't know what it is, but God, here I am, send me. Here I am. And you look at the disciples I mean, these are just common, really common, uneducated men who Jesus comes along and he says, hey, leave everything. Leave your family, leave your job, leave everything and come after me. And they, they said, um, okay, like I don't really know what I'm going to be doing and I don't think you really want me. I'm just a tax collector or I'm just a fisherman. All I do is catch fish all day, but all right, sure, I'll be, I'll be available for you. And look at 12 men changed the world. Twelve men has now turned into hundreds of millions of Christ followers. Because we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter, after he is filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, we see Peter preach to the crowds, and he could have easily said, whoa, okay, that's just too many people. They're going to get mad at me. They're not going to listen to me. He could have closed the windows and closed the, the shutters there in Jerusalem and said, all right, I'll just talk to people individually. But he preached in front of thousands of people, and it said 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day because he said, I might not know how to preach a sermon because I just got filled with the Holy Spirit and I really still don't fully understand this whole thing, but I'll preach this sermon 
and 3,000 people came to know the Lord in Acts chapter 3. They, again, are walking into the temple, and Peter and John, they say, okay, well, I haven't really seen this healing thing happen too much outside of Jesus doing it, but God, you're calling me to, to heal this man in front of the temple. I'll do it. He heals a man, and then he goes in, and he begins to preach another sermon, and 5,000 people come to know Jesus as their Savior. In Acts chapter 4, they're pulled in front of the council, basically in front of the, like the top Jewish leaders. who they, they are so sick of this Jesus thing, and they're ready to kill more people. They don't want to hear this Jesus thing anymore. They already took care of Jesus. At least they thought they did. They don't want to hear anything else. And they pull Peter and John in front of the whole entire council, basically in front of like what would be like our Senate, all right, or our House of Representatives under the, the top leadership. And they begin just to harass them and begin to threaten them. And they, they end up standing firm. They end up telling the council, hey, this is what we believe and this is the truth. They end up leaving and they go and immediately, they don't go and say, okay, maybe we should calm down. They, they go and pray for boldness. They pray for more boldness. I don't, have, I don't know how you can get more bold than telling the, the top leadership of the Jewish nation that, hey, you're wrong and Jesus was right. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes in front of Cornelius, which is one of the top leaders of, of the, the, the Gentiles at that time. And he goes in front of Cornelius, and he gives Cornelius the gospel. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And Cornelius and his whole household is saved, and they're baptized right then and there. And if you read right before that in, in Acts chapter 9, Peter is not wanting to go to Cornelius' house. He says, I, have, I am not the right person for this. You want me going for front of Cornelius and his household? I, I pick somebody else, but not me. But finally, God challenges him, and he says, okay, I'll be, I'll be able, or I'll be available. I might not be able, but I'll be available. And he steps outside of his tent and, and Cornelius' house, who had major influence over the Gentiles at that time, was saved and baptized. And so I could go on and on. Every chapter in Acts has, has something on this. Really, every book of the Bible has many things to say about people stepping outside of their tent, outside of their, their comfort zone, and challenging their complacency and saying, yes, this might be comfortable in the moment. It might be easy to go home and, and just to watch Netflix all day or to go home and do these things that, hey, my life is all right. I come on Sundays and I feel good. And that's fine, I, you know, I do my thing once a week, but I'm just, you know, I'm fine where I'm at. No, it took people, for God to move through them, people had to step out of their tent because God works outside the comfort of our tent. So many of us, if you're anything like me, many of us, I believe, need to ask God to help us overcome our complacency and our laziness. Maybe some of us are driven more by fear, and I completely understand that. Maybe you're driven by fear and you, and you think, I just don't know if I can. I don't know if I'm ready to step out. I don't know if I have the, 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 the boldness to do something like that, to talk to that person at my work about Jesus, to leave my family the way I know I need to leave my family. Because we all know how 13, 14, 15-year-olds can walk all over parents. I did it. <laughs> and, and I believe that some of us are called to, to step out of our tent and to do what maybe we fear doing. Uh, Psalm chapter 13 is David. Same, same character we were just talking about. And this is what David says in Psalm chapter 13. 
How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Maybe you're in here this morning and fear has overcome you. And and for whatever reason, you don't have the boldness to step out of your tent and to do what you know God has called you to do. David, many times in the Psalms, speaks like this, and he says, God, where are you? God, if I step out of this tent, where are you? I don't think you'll even be there. Why would I step out of this tent if I don't think you'll even show up? And maybe you're in that same place of saying, God, where are you? But what does David say at the end? David begins to reflect on God's goodness in the past. And we can be assured that because God worked, we can be confident that he will work. And this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in of us saying, God, I might not know what it looks like to take a step outside of this tent. Just like David didn't know what it would look like to go down and face Goliath. We might be in that same place and say, God, I don't know what it looks like. And, and God, this is going to be probably the hardest thing I've ever done. But I know because you worked, because you delivered Israel out of Egypt, because you did the mighty works in the Old Testament, because you've done the mighty works today, because you do the mighty works right in front of me and the people around me, because you have worked, I know, God, that you will work. I know that you'll work. It might not be exactly how I see it. It might not be exactly how I want it. God, I know that you'll work. And because of that, I'm just going to take this small step outside of the tent. Look, you don't have to have a plan. You don't have to have it all written out, how you're going to do it and and each step you're going to take. God's just asking us to step outside of our tent, to step outside of our complacency and our comfort because he's got a plan and he wants to move. He wants to bring hope to this island. He wants to bring hope to your family. He wants to bring hope to your workplaces. And he wants us to, to trust him and to take a step outside of our tent and say, God, do what you need to do in me. And so in a moment here, I'm going to pray. And, and I encourage you guys, we're going to have one more song after this. And, and don't use this as a time, I, I urge you, don't use this as a time to say, okay, this is where I can slip out. Or, you know, this is where, you know, I can, I can maybe tithe on my phone or whatever. Use this as a time to say, God, reveal to me, God, what it looks like to step outside of my tent. What do you want me to do, God? Maybe it's to go sign up for a life group. Maybe last week you, you postponed or you pushed it aside. Maybe go sign up for a life group or sign up in a ministry where you can serve. Or maybe it's just filling out the shape assessment. Maybe that's your step. Maybe it's deciding today I'm going to sit down, my, sit down with my family or my spouse or I'm going to sit down with, with you know, whoever it might be. That maybe, maybe somebody that you don't get along with. Maybe somebody you have tension with. And I'm going to step outside the tent. I'm going to take the first step. And God, I trust that you'll take care of the rest, that you'll cover the rest. Maybe for some of you, the first step outside the tent is saying, God, 
I trust you. Just, I trust you in general. Maybe some of you don't even know if you believe in God. Maybe you don't even know if you trust Christ. Maybe some of you, it's just stepping outside the tent saying, God, I, I trust that you're real. I trust that you deserve everything that I have, all my thoughts and everything. So I encourage you to, to seek God and to ask God what that is in your life this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, this morning that you, God, are alive and real, God, that because you have worked, God, you are working right now, God, in, in the hearts of us here in this room, God. God, you are working in a way, God, God, that brings you glory, God. God, that, a way that advances your kingdom, God, and I pray that you, that you work in each family, God, each individual in here, God. That you open their eyes and open their ears, God, to the, to the Goliath or Goliaths that, that stare at them in their face, God, and, and maybe have intimidated them for years, God, maybe, maybe have controlled them for years. God, I pray that you... Give them the courage to step out of the tent. God, to step out of that place of comfort and complacency. God, and to assure them, God, that even though they might not see, God, that they can trust you. God, even though they might not see what lies before them, they can trust you, God, because that's faith. God, in such an essential part of following you. God, we love you so much, and we know, God, that you are working, that you want to work. God, we can't wait, God, to see what you continue to do, God, here in our lives, because you are good, God, and you love us. God, and that you will always be here for us, God. Even when we're at the place where David was, God, asking, where are you, God? Are you even there still? Are you listening to me? God, assure each of us that you are there. God, that you are working and that you want to work. God, we praise you. God, we give you all the glory this morning.